So our first Bible reading this morning is from John chapter 14, verses 12 to 18. And as Paul has said, that is on that insert in your order of service. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And our second reading is from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word among only the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is the end of our readings. Thanks so much, Jean. So it'd be great if you kept that single page uh, open, or even better still, if you've got a Bible and you wanted to open up uh, to the book of Acts. I'm going to be working uh, through some other sections as well there this morning. But let me begin by praying. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful autumn morning and the freedom we enjoy in Australia to meet together in worship of you. Uh, please teach us, move us, and change us now and fill our hearts with joy uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit as we open up your word in awe at the work of your sons. And it's in his name that we pray these words. Amen. In ministry, uh, in Anglican circles at least, uh, we tend to work five and a half days a week, uh, which is like you, right? Uh, five working days and then a half a day on Sunday at church. Anyway, that's, that's the idea. So because my Sunday is a work day, uh, my five and a half days take me to about Friday lunchtime, at which point my weekend starts. 
And our family is lucky because Lauren, my wife, doesn't work on Friday. And so here we are, Friday lunchtime, at a restaurant uh, by the water on the northern beaches. The same face, in fact, we had our wedding reception some 13 years ago. Uh, it's named uh, Pasadena on Pitwater. Uh, Joel's at school, and Ethan's being really well behaved. He's absolutely busting for the hot chips that are about to arrive in a really cute kind of way. Sunlight is glinting off a glass of Pinot, and the mains are just about to arrive. One of those lovely family moments with the prospect of the weekend to follow. And then the phone rings, and it's Justin, and he's in a bad way. How would I feel about preaching this coming Sunday? Well, the answer is great, because I, I love preaching, and it's always a very great privilege to be asked to preach. And I thought I'd take the opportunity this morning to share with you how we're traveling in, uh, at the moment, in Church Hill's daily devotional app, A Year With Jesus. But in order to do so, we're going to need to start in John 14, before we move on into Acts 11, which I think is a great representative passage for our journey in the book of Acts so far this year. So why John 14? Well, because of these intriguing words by Jesus. Have a look there, the first verse in that John passage. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Now, set the scene, it's the night before Jesus dies. Uh, he's in the upper room in Jerusalem uh, with his disciples. It's their last meal together. And Jesus' last words to them before he's betrayed, arrested, and then crucified the very next morning. For Jesus' disciples, their whole world is coming, crashing down about them. Jesus has just told them that he's going to be betrayed by one of them, one of their own brothers. He's just told them that he's leaving them, and where he's going, they can't follow. I mean, what are disciples with no one to follow? And to cap it all off, their illustrious leader, Peter, whom they all look up to, is going to deny even knowing Jesus three times, and that before night's end. What on earth is about to happen? Their whole world is being turned on its head and coming crashing down around their ears. And then amidst the shock and the trauma of the moment, Jesus says these words to them. Our first passage, John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Now, who knows what the disciples made of those words in that moment. But even at a distance of 2,000 years, and without any of the emotional turmoil that filled that room in that moment, these words give us pause. I mean, what did Jesus mean? do greater things than him. Jesus healed thousands. He calmed storms with a word. He fed the 5,000 and raised people from the dead. Only then to say, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Really? I mean, that would have been enough to confuse us, I think. But then to continue on, and they will do even greater things than these. What does Jesus mean? How on earth 
we go on to do greater things than him. I mean, after all, Jesus died for the sins of the world. He defeated Satan, sin and death on the cross. He lived the perfect life, resisting every single moment of temptation. I can't even get through a single day without sinning. And Jesus didn't sin once in 33 years. And he set the world right again. Adam and Eve dropped the ball, and we've been kicking own goals ever since. But Jesus, the last Adam, set everything back on track. And as a result, he's now sitting and reigning at the right hand of God in heaven, sustaining all things through his powerful word. One day soon, he'll return in power to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. After which, he'll rule and reign in the new heavens and the new earth, in which the entire world, as we know it, will be recreated and renewed without a son, because we'll be basking in his glory. So how on earth can Jesus say in John 14, 12, that we'll go on to do greater works than him? Curious, huh? And yet, when we turn to the book of Acts, we find that the grand total of believers, in Jerusalem at least, as a direct result of the ministry of Jesus Christ, amounts to, wait for it, barely 120 believers. That's Acts 1.15. Take out Jesus' disciples and his mother and brothers and sisters, and the number's around 100. The healings, the miracles, the sermons, the meals with tax collectors and sinners, the fiery debates with the Pharisees in synagogues, walking on water and the like, three years of public ministry, and barely 120 believers to show for it. Then, Peter preaches a single sermon in Acts 2, and 3,000 people are saved. And next, we find the communal life together of the new believers resulting in Acts 2.47, the Lord adding daily to their number those who are being saved. The apostles keep preaching, and Acts 4.4, the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000, let alone their wives and their children. The apostles are thrown into prison and whipped, yet with great joy and power, they continue to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. The lame walk Peter heals with his shadow. He raises the dead. The message always the same, Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. They pray, and buildings are shaken, Acts 4.31. They're arrested in the temple, thrown in prison, Angels open prison doors, and their captors find them the next morning preaching in the temple courts again. Great persecution breaks out against the church, and still Acts 6-7, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so from 120 to upwards of 10,000. Then Stephen, brutally murdered in Acts 7, causes thousands upon thousands of Christians to flee Jerusalem as missionaries to the far reaches of the Roman Empire and beyond, which gets us up to Acts 11 and Antioch, our passage today. But first, back to those words from Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. And to our original question, how on earth? 
from 120 believers through the ministry of Jesus to upwards of 10,000 believers in a matter of months. How did Jesus' followers go on to do the same works he'd been doing and even greater works than him in sheer numerical numbers? And how do we do the same? What happened between the death and resurrection of Jesus and the explosive growth of the early Christian church? The answer, of course, is that the Holy Spirit came. Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into a heaven, and the Holy Spirit came. Jesus, if you like, went up, and the Holy Spirit came down, and Acts happened. Not so much Acts of the Apostles as Acts of the Holy Spirit, as many think the book would be more accurately named. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is it that came? The Bible teaches us that He is the power and presence of God. God's active agent in our world, the supreme resource for Christian life and mission, who, if you remember, at the start of Jesus' ministry, anointed and empowered his ministry right there from the beginning, when he was baptised by John. In fact, everything that Jesus did and said was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Only this time, The Holy Spirit isn't just poured out on Jesus, he's poured out on 120 believers at Pentecost, and then on every new believer after that. At his baptism by John, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, who anointed and empowered his ministry, and Jesus' Spirit-filled ministry resulted in the salvation of 120 people who, in turn, were filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus, and subsequently filled all of Jerusalem with Christ's teaching, Acts 5.28. Jesus' ministry alive and continuing on in them. And in the last verse of our John passage there, uh, Jesus promises, you can have a look at it, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit, in order that you might experience my presence and continue my work in power. So how can we carry on Jesus' work and go on to do even greater works than those of Jesus? The answer is through the Holy Spirit of Jesus, whom Jesus sent into our hearts so that we might continue his mission, his work here on earth. And so when Stephen was stoned to death in Acts 7, far from bringing an end to the church, it caused 10,000 Jesuses to scatter as missionaries right throughout the Roman Empire preaching the gospel wherever they went, some of whom, Acts 11, came to Antioch. Which brings us to this little passage in Acts 11. You know, I've always loved it for the way it encourages me in my faltering attempts at evangelism. Now, I'm not sure if you can relate to this. I know that some of you probably can't, but perhaps a lot of you can. I'm not sure if you can relate to this, but We're evangelical Christians, right? Which means that the gospel and evangelism are kind of our defining traits. We know how important mission is to Jesus, and Jesus would have us go on, as we just read, to do even greater things than him when it comes to the mission field. His last words to us in the gospels at the beginning of Acts were the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. So it would appear that our core purpose is to share the good news about Jesus with people. And yet, 
I live in this, this kind of frustrated existence in which I struggle, as I think many of us do, to pluck up the courage to share my faith. Uh, you know what it's like. We tend to downplay our credentials. Uh, we might say, I'm not theologically trained. I'm new to the faith. I'm not a gifted evangelist. Uh, the time isn't right in the relationships that I have. I'm just not impressive enough in my faith to be taken seriously. Better leave it to the professionals. Or, if not in theory, then in practice, we doubt the gospel's power. I just can't come right out and say one day that Jesus died for their sins. That'll most likely do more damage than good. What's needed is a crisis in their life, or a perfect storm of contributing factors, or perhaps 10 years of solid Christ-like friendship before I take the plunge. Or we convince ourselves that our workplace is too secular. The gospel is too offensive. The people that I work with are too hardened to be changed by the good news of Jesus. You know, I love this passage in Acts 11 because it turns all this negative self-talk, my negative self-talk, on its head. We have the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit. And look at them. I mean, look at these guys. They aren't apostles. They're not professional Christians. They're unnamed refugees. They saw Stephen stoned to death for preaching. So what do they do? They preach the good news about Jesus, verse 20. Everywhere they go. No theological training, no access to the Scriptures like we have, except perhaps a glimpse of an Old Testament scroll once a week on the Sabbath, and we know from history that the greater part of them couldn't even read. And the New Testament, well, the guy murdering them hadn't even written it yet. But they had the Spirit of God, which means, verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And then the end of our passage, the end of verse 26 there, one of my favourite verses in all of Acts the disciples were first called Christians there. To these unnamed, ordinary believers like you and I, is given the supreme honour of first being called Christians. And if you track references to Antioch throughout the remainder of Acts, what's more, we find out that they go on to fund the church in Jerusalem. That's a little later in verse 30. And then Paul's three missionary journeys that make up the rest of the book of Acts, well, they fund them as well. Antioch, if you like, becomes the launching pad for his entire mission to the Gentiles, with Paul returning to them between each trip for refreshment and support. These ordinary, unnamed believers, after whom we have the honour to take our name. So, here's to my parents... And here's to your grandmother, and to that one mum in mother's group that was always so kind. Here's to the scripture teachers, Mrs. Creek in year two, and here's to that religious guy in accounts. Here's to that Christian kid that everyone picked on in school who stuck by you until he led you to the Lord. Here's to John Dixon's kindly neighbour, who shared the gospel and delicious brownies with a know-it-all teenage boy. 
he is to the unknown substitute lay preacher whose faltering words brought the 15-year-old Charles Spurgeon to Jesus, come in for cover during a freak snowstorm. He is to the missionaries and the martyrs and the widows and the aid workers. He is to our brothers and sisters in Antioch and to all those ordinary people like you and I on whom God has built his church. And here's to the shock when their message of foolishness hit home time and time again. And here's to the gratitude to those beautiful feet, to those jars of clay in whom the gospel shone so brightly in contrast. Here's to the eternal debt of gratitude from those they saved and from their children and from their children's children. But above all, here's to the unsurpassed power of the gospel that irresistibly calls people from death to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, when you go out on Monday, remember who it is that you're taking with you. The Holy Spirit, the supreme resource for Christian life and mission. The power and presence of Jesus and his Father who come with you in him living inside you. You have the same spirit who empowered the ministry of Jesus, of Peter, of Christians down throughout the ages who've seen the church grow from 120 to billions. The same spirit who, when Jesus prayed, cast out demons, healed the sick, and calmed storms with a word. The same spirit through whom Peter spoke and thousands bowed their knees. The same spirit through whom Peter's shadow healed those lined up along his way. The same spirit who flooded Paul's heart and turned the greatest opponent of Christianity into its greatest advocate. Because, as Jesus promised us in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. And all this means, for example, that if you haven't invited someone to Alpha, which starts on Tuesday, it's not too late. Give them a call this afternoon or ask them at work on Monday. And trust the Holy Spirit, trust Jesus to take care of the rest. If not this time, then next. And if not next time, then at least they know you care, that your faith is important to you and that they are important to you. And then see where the Holy Spirit takes it from there. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, his work inside us, keeping us in the faith, maintaining our fellowship with you and Jesus, transforming us, reshaping us and remaking us into the likeness of your Son, our strengthener, our supporter, our advisor, our advocate, our encourager, given to us by Jesus in his place after his death, and who will stay with us until his return. We acknowledge, Father, only by him being poured out will there be sermons in church that convict, conversations at work that will convince, and commitments made to you that will last. Only by him being poured out will those we know and love come to faith in you. And so we pray, Father, that you would fill us with him Monday through Sunday as you filled these believers in Antioch from whom we take our name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.